What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris. And me, Catherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research. Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Um, this is also our first uh, attempt to switch from our YouTube live Zoom platform to a podcast audio only platform. So we're excited about that. Um, and I'll move right into just an introduction of myself. And then um, uh, Catherine, our, my co-host, will introduce herself. And then we'll have our esteemed guest introduce herself. Um, I'm Kelly Harris. I'm assistant professor of occupational therapy and surgery at Washington University in St. Louis. And my research focuses on... Um, the impacts of pediatric chronic disease on um, education and participation um, in community and educational contexts. Well, Catherine, I'll pass it to you. Thank you. My name is Catherine Hoyt. I am an instructor of occupational therapy, pediatrics, and neurology. And my research is focused on early identification of developmental delay and supporting families and individuals in the sickle cell disease community. And now I'll hand it over to Dr. Johnson. Hey, everybody, and thank you both, Kelly and Catherine, for having me on today. Super excited to be chatting with you all. Um, I'm Kalia Johnson. I'm an assistant professor of occupational science and occupational therapy at the University of North Carolina School of Medicine in Chapel Hill, and also an affiliate faculty member in the Department of Psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University there in the Center for Cultural Experiences and Prevention. Um, I am an occupational therapist with um, now 17 years of experience, and my program of research intersects um, health equity, um, anti-racism, and intellectual and developmental disabilities. Awesome. We are so glad that you are here. Um, and we were having a lovely conversation just about um, kind of communication, really professional communication broadly, but listening to your bio, um, which is excellent, I'm going to just jump into our first question. So my <laughs> clinical background is a speech pathologist, right? And so um, I I know occupational therapy as much as, as one who's not an occupational therapist can know it, right? But I don't really know occupational science. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about occupational science and yeah. what that is? Sure. That is, I think we probably get asked what is occupational science as much as we get asked what uh, was occupational therapy. So I always appreciate that question. And really, in essence, occupational science is the study of human doing, you know, our um, access um, and how we participate and by means of which that we make meaning through that participation. Um, and then so occupational therapy is the sort of the remediation and restoration of bringing people back to those um, activities um, and the quality with which they would prefer to do them. 
Um, I've also heard people sort of describe occupational science as being the research arm of occupational therapy. And while I sort of appreciate that, I'm like, occupational therapists also do research, right? So yes, occupational science informs the therapy, but, you know, there's occupational therapy scholarship that is sort of exclusive of occupational science as well. But in essence, we are simply really understanding and unpacking what it is people do every day. So that brings up a good question because I was even having a conversation this morning with a colleague about occupational science and we were trying to disentangle what is that difference between occupational science and occupational therapy research. Do you have a good thought on that or any thoughts on that? Um, you know, that I feel like and it must be a program where we have PhDs, you know, right? Where we're really trying to like you said, really differentiate which which is it. Um, and I think the, the way I sort of have reconciled it in my own mind is that occupational therapy is going to sort of have explicit clinical implications. Occupational science is a little more broader than that. Um, just for, for example, in my own work, um, I don't always sort of talk about the alignment of the, the research to clinical practice as I might sort of policy and legislation or sort of understanding intellectual disability from more disability lens and not through an occupational therapy lens, perhaps. Um, so I think just one has a little bit more of a broader application, whereas if it's you're talking about occupational therapy, you're sort of looking specifically about these sort of clinical and practice um, um, orientations and, and applications. That was really helpful for me, actually, because, you know, we don't talk about occupational therapy science too much where I am. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, do you think that there's like maybe particular research interests or things perhaps that occupational therapists or perhaps people outside of occupational therapy might be more drawn to one versus the other? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think with people with more clinical backgrounds would probably be more interested in going the occupational therapy route. I think those who are coming from like anthropology, psychology, education, even um, economics, you think about people that have inquired about our occupational science program before, because there is a little bit more broader application, might go more of the occupational science route. Um, and And as I say that, it's funny that I uh, have also, I think, um, been in contact with a lot of practitioners here in recent years that um, are really sort of interested in more broader application of therapy and so are then interested in occupational science, which I think could be a really interesting exploration of that because um, even I think I've been sort of socialized to think about occupational therapy as this very sort of narrowed way to sort of doing um, therapy, but I mean, uh, doing um, research. And so I think um, having more practitioners who are sort of making that transition from, you know, being in the clinical world to the um, research world, whether it's academic or not, I think it can really, really change the sort of scholarship um, uh, that, that we're producing in our discipline. So <clears throat> thinking about that, you know, at what point, um, should students or learners really start thinking about how, you know, how to get more engaged or involved in occupational science? And 
Yeah, that's 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 such a great question too. Um, honestly, I feel like it happened. It should happen in undergraduate programs, um, and we unfortunately don't have a lot of occupational science um, undergraduate programs in this country. But that is where you capture students. I think that's where you capture them, and when they have research interests, that's where you capture them to be able to even develop skills for them to want to transition straight to a PhD. Because you know, I think there's this. Um, you know, misconception about needing to have a master's degree to have a PhD and you don't. Um, so really cultivating um, and encouraging students who have that interest to to explore those things in their undergraduate careers, or even if they haven't mentioned it to you, at least introducing the idea of having a career as a researcher then. Um, but in our master's programs, you know, really again, sort of including students in part of your research process. So they kind of get a sense of what it is actually like in the real world. I'm using air quotes, y'all can't see that. Um, because you know, we, we do these um, uh, master's thesis projects, you know, capstones, if you're doing an OTD. Um, and while it provides students with a taste, I think when some of our students transition to the PhD program and then they go like, Oh, WTF, y'all didn't tell me it was like this. <laughs> it's like, you mean to tell me it's not that little thing I could do in a few weeks because you did the IRB for me and everything? Like, yeah, that's not how it works. <laughs> so being able to really take the time over that four-year-plus period with students in, uh, in their undergraduate careers to really say, like, here's, first of all, here's what science is. Um, and then this is sort of what research design and implementation can look like. So many things in that response that I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> first is um, just the point, as just a highlight that students can go from undergrad to a PhD program. I don't know that we've discussed that here at all. We have either. Have and I think, um, I, I don't know, I, I think that's a super important point, right? I think that is a common misconception. And um, one of the things we have talked about a little bit is funding, Um graduate degrees and uh, master's degrees are expensive mm-hmm. most of the time. It was for me and probably for both of you, right? Like, you know, um, and there's different kinds of support for PhD programs. So for folks who ultimately want to go that route, really knowing that is essential. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking about that. I was thinking also about just thinking about this undergrad focus when we think about, you know, um, like I was going to say equity approaches, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is really improving the representativeness of our fields and of research, right? And that like, we you don't get to do that by waiting, you know, to try to recruit folks mm-hmm. to, to the field and to research broadly um, later, like really starting as early as possible is so important. Um, so I don't know, those are a couple of things that I was just thinking about as I was listening to you talk, but I think... Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot there. Kathy, do you have? I mean, one of the things I was thinking about is how interested I am in hearing more what some of the occupational science types of research questions look like. Because, uh-huh. like, you were finishing there, like, thinking about implementation. And I know that's an area where Kelly and I are really interested in exploring more. Um, could you give some? I don't know. I know that's maybe a big question, but like some examples <laughs> of questions that occupational scientists are looking at. Yeah, I mean, I think any anything that sort of speaks to the human experience, um, sort of understanding um, how people access and participate 
um, in activity. Um, occupational scientists are interested in answering questions about occupations in and of themselves. So here in recent years, um, uh, you know, the, the term unsanctioned occupation has been thrown around. So those things are sort of taboo and um, sort of unexplored in the knowledge base, really sort of exploring that um, uh, there. Oh, gosh, I can picture a lady's face and, and her name is leaving me in this moment, but has a body of work now about tagging, uh, which we call like graffiti. Right. And what that like, what are the sort of social implications of that? What does it mean to participate in that activity? Um, what does it tell us about occupation to study something like, you know, graffiti artistry? Um, I mean, in my own work, you know, bridging anti-racism and health equity, um, understanding how occupations around pathways to health, um, how that helps us sort of conceptualize better um, what realized access looks like. Uh, what does it tell us um, about sort of health and well-being in those communities and what occupational therapy practice can or cannot bring to that space? Um, it's, it's, it's wide and vast. I mean, there are people that's doing work right now sort of answering questions around occupation and theology that I find to be really, really interesting. So if I could, like, I, I wish I could sort of tell you what a, a body of research questions could look like in occupational science, but it's really, um, it's really vast right now. I think we've sort of gone from like, what is occupation to yeah. really understanding the situatedness of occupation in sort of the, the transactions of all these things that we have to sort of interact with in our in our environments. It sounds like it could really be as broad and diverse as occupation is. And the things that we mm -hmm. do vary person to person and culture to culture. Um, and that sounds exciting to me. Like really the questions could be asking what you want to ask to better understand how we can serve people. Yeah. Yeah, I just always tell our PhD students, like, in the end, more than anything, what does it tell us about occupation? And, and how does it improve our conceptualizations of occupation? I think any sorts of questions that help us think about those things is occupational science. Looks like you have a thought, Kelly. No, I just... Um... <laughs> I'm learning a lot. I didn't, I, I think I didn't realize it was quite so broad and vast, but it makes complete sense. Like as I'm listening, it just, um, yeah. No, it's, it is, I don't know. And, and you know, I, I came to occupational science from the clinical world. I was, funny enough, as I was talking about encouraging students to sort of go from undergrad to PhD, I was actually discouraged by um, the chair and mentors I had in my, in, in my OT program to, to work first mm -hmm. before pursuing a PhD. Like I knew very early on, I, I wanted to be a, a clinician scientist. I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like, but I wanted a career that, um, that, you know, um, had a, a, a leaning towards research and I, I think it's, it's very helpful to have a clinical background to answer um, research questions, but it it sort of lends me to think about, um, you know, and I am so sorry, y'all. Like, I'm trying to remember, like, where was I going with this? 
All right, let's pause. No, no, no. I I'm really, like, I'm, I'm interested in. Question. I'm like, we ask your question. Well, no, no, no. Just, you're totally not about your path. I'm interested in this. Um. Oh gosh, because like I had a whole about plane, and I'm like, I got, I got lost in, in, in what I was about to say. I was really interested too. Like somebody advised you to not go straight to PhD, even though you knew mm-hmm. that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah, and while I you know, appreciate it. I also on the, you know, in retrospect, realized I didn't need to do that. You know, yes, it's great that I, you know, clinical experiences sort of inform the sorts of questions that I'm interested in, but it's not something you absolutely have to do. You can be, um, you know, a successful student without having practiced occupational therapy. You most certainly can be a successful scientist without having any clinical experience. Um, because that in occupational science, that is not the sort of ultimate thing that uh, we're interested in. Some people might slap my wrist about that, but it is it's big. It's bigger than practice, right? It's it's bigger than that. Um, and, so, and we're also in this um, space where collaboration is being recognized as being really critical, right? And so, just because you don't have the clinical experience doesn't mean that you don't pull people onto your team or work with folks who do, so that you get that perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like um yeah I think that's an important point because I do think we feel like we need it I think you're right um and then I think if there are times that you're like man I wish I had this added perspective you just go get it <laughs> right you know you, you you bring somebody on that has it and you keep going um because I think that's the other thing you know like research is not a, a solo endeavor um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of if you think about the training and how we say like, oh, you got to go do this independent project. But how how many of us are doing independent projects truly after you earn your PhD? Like this is team science. So, you know, I don't know, somebody somewhere along the way, it probably won't be me. Um, It should really, I think, do something that helps sort of transform the doctoral curriculum too. Um, It is, it, it just doesn't make sense that we, even train our PhD students in that way either. Truth. I, you know, I think about that when I transitioned from, so my background is um, in education. And when I came to the medical school, like I think in my PhD program, you know, part of your qualifying was to have a single author publication. Oh, that's I, exactly. I came to medical school and they were like, you don't do that. that. What do you mean? <laughs> right. And so it's funny. Um, just thinking about that, that that was like a thing that was really promoted. And I think it also is kind of, um, I think in, in other fields, we're also thinking about team science a little differently now. And so it's perhaps not as promoted, but it was, it was, that was the thing. And and so, so yeah, thinking about, you know, those differences. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that, I think even team science is probably even newer to occupational science in the sense that you have, um, either a team of occupational science or sort of like this occupational lens is what's framing these big projects. And I'm, and I'm saying that sort of it, it's so people can sort of understand the context that I'm coming from with team science. I'm also thinking it in terms of like big funded research as well, which is, you know, very sort of biomedical leaning. And so even then, so somebody who pursues a PhD in occupational therapy might be better suited for something like that than, say, a person with an occupational science PhD. I don't know. But 
there might be an argument for that, but I think um, to sort of think about sort of big funded team science in that way, um, we're, we're, we're babies when it comes to that. Well, but I, I wonder, so, you know, I have a um, student that's working on, I do asthma research, right? And um, while there are uh, occupational therapists that, that work in the asthma space, there aren't that many of them, right? And so part of, you know, her study was looking at kind of the role of OTs on on clinical asthma management teams and thinking about, you know, broadly. So I'm saying all this to say that while it might not be a thing within occupational science, listening, I feel like occupational science perspectives are probably a missing part of many teams, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, um, teams initiated outside of occupational science. That's what I guess I'm just wondering, like, yeah. you know, how many folks are bringing that perspective to the table, either because they don't know about it or, you know, um, but it seems like it's a, could be or should be a critical mm-hmm. point, a part of a lot of teams and how we just think about uh, you know, various areas, uh, the various areas in which we work, right? As yeah. we're building our teams, yeah. Yeah. And I've had uh, mentors share about just sort of inserting themselves in these are research teams to say like, hey, this is what we offer. Um, but mentors who have also talked about that, you know, you, yes, your, your background is in occupational science and occupational therapy, but you just let your work speak for you. And people then, you know, sort of learn that, it's sort of this, this is what it means to take sort of this, this occupational lens and how it is helpful, not just in the spaces where we work, but all of these things that we can offer to, um, you know, medicine or economics, anthropology, you know, you, uh, gosh, um, construction, you know, just things that we don't even think about. Yeah. Um, and and then it's then it's the rest is word of mouth, honestly, <laughs> you know, because the the, re- the research world, although it feels very big, is very small. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people see the the benefit of having occupational scientists and therapists as part of their research, um, they want well, realize the error of their ways, right? <laughs> um, but but also the the sort of situating and contextualizing their work that has been missing. And I think that that is the critical piece that we um, bring so, so well to, to the research teams. Related to what you were just saying and some things you've said already, and I know just of interest perhaps to all of us, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts, maybe you want to use your own research as an example for how occupational science might help us uh, understand or do better with health equity types of questions or um, advancing representation in the healthcare system and in, in general? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I can. I know it's a huge question. Example. Like, can we fix the world? <laughs> like, yeah. How can occupational science be, you know, the Superman? Um, and while I wish uh, we we could, like I said earlier, you know, we definitely I think offer some unique perspectives that have been missing uh, in the discourse of I'll say research in general, really. And it's understanding um, sort of the role of de- everyday living and the real impacts it has on not just 
sort of what happens with the individual, what happens in our entire ecosystems and how systems are built. Um, and while I know there are many disciplines that think about sort of systems and context, you know, occupational science and occupational therapy, like we're talking about like situatedness, like how are these things really connected and impact how things become realized, like how they manifest. So for me, like an intellectual developmental disabilities, it's not so much like, oh, let me understand the experience, but how is it that, you know, occupation with like accessing healthcare, right? That is an occupation. Like how is it tied to, um, how are these systems sort of coming through occupation that really impacts people in the day to day? You know, I've worked with a couple of nurses on a research team, like their focus was completely on sort of what happens in the therapeutic process with intervention. Like, what are they doing with medication on medicine? It's like, what what is the physical outcome? You know, they weren't even so concerned about the social context. Um, Believe it or not, even with working with some rehab professionals, it was not a whole, whole lot of understanding context. But, um, you know, with occupational science and I'll go back and say specifically somebody who is like I was I was trained by Dewey and scholars so John Dewey, like American pragmatist. So really understanding situational holes and how all of these things come together to to create lives. Um, and I really think that that has influenced my research in particular in understanding that healthcare is not this very siloed thing. Like we we understand that and we know that, but really sort of designing research studies around that premise um, and having to be very creative, right? Because with that, because not a lot of funding agencies want to look at all of the contextual stuff. They're like, what? Like, just tell us what the outcome is. <laughs> it's like, we want to know about that. Like, what do you mean that, you know, understanding structural racism is part of this? Like, how do you measure that? Uh, or saying like, okay, well, we know about experience, but how is that tied to these, you know, survey things that we talked about 20 years ago? So really making those links. Um, I don't really see a lot of other disciplines doing that. Looks like you leaned in to talk, Kelly. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, I, yeah, no, I'm just thinking, I don't have anything else going on. I don't really see a lot of disciplines doing that either. And I feel like occupation is at the center of all that we do and therefore occupational science and occupational therapy should probably be leaders in advocating for questions and, um, and people. And I I feel like I'm, I didn't have this well thought out beforehand to be like what I want to say, but yeah. yeah, but to that to that yeah. point, yeah. though, um, I just thought about sort of the kind of the the advocacy work that the American Occupational Therapy Foundation has done to ensure that occupational therapy is considered in some of the research priorities at the NIH. You know, uh, I don't I don't know how many people like sort of keep up with that. It's like, but when you pay dues, like your money is going towards you know worthwhile things like that. Um, and if we didn't have an association or a foundation, rather, um, that had the forethought to be like, this is how we can also best support our clinician scientists, um, then I don't know how how many of us would have NIH funding, really. Um, so it's, yeah, while there's not a lot of us in that space, you know, AOTF is really doing the work to make sure that we are on the radars of these these big funders. 
glad you brought that up. We had um, Satvika join us a couple months ago from mm-hmm. OTF. Uh, so for for those that are listening, um, many organizations like NIH and AOTF, the American Occupational Therapy Foundation, provide money for people to conduct science and answer their questions. And there's often a person that can, um, like a scientific review officer or a program officer, where you can reach out and kind of explain your question and get some feedback, I don't know, uh, and things like that. But like AOTF really is, I, I feel like lately, putting a good step forwards to make sure occupation is at the center of research questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it's easily fall into the trap of, you know, these more biomedical focused kinds of research questions. You know, that's that's the sexy thing. That's what that's what the funders want to push their money towards. I mean, they claim to, you know, prioritize these other things. But when you look at these, the awards that actually go out, I mean, they're very um, sort of medicalized kinds of things, you know, clinical trials and whatnot, um, or people attempting to apply clinical trials to things that really should be qualitative in nature. I see a lot of that, too. Um, but, you know, also I don't want, like, I don't want listeners to hear this and sort of be discouraged by what I'm saying, but to be encouraged that if you are considering research as a career, like you are stepping into a space that is evolving and evolving in a ways that's going to support the kinds of questions that you are interested in. Um, I'm really, really optimistic about sort of where the scientific community is going, um, um, in this country in particular, so. With that in mind, you know, like if somebody does want to do science or even just learn more about occupational science, are there any particular resources that you think that they should look at or check out or organizations or? Yeah, let's see, people. <laughs> um, I think definitely reaching out to any faculty that are in our like occupational science programs. So there are if you're interested in a PhD specifically, there are three programs. So we have ours at the University of North Carolina. There's one at the University of Southern California and then Towson University in Maryland. Um, there are also a number of PhD in occupational therapy programs. Um, but, you know, as I was stating, if you're sort of having um, have research questions or interests that are sort of beyond the scope of just practice and are interested in learning more about occupational science, even maybe having an opportunity to sit in on some classes, definitely reach out to PhD program coordinators, department chairs, or uh, specific professors if you're interested in their work um, specifically about um, just about, you know, their their career and and the prospects of even joining um the program at the respective university. Thanks. That's helpful. Um, any other organizations or any specific conferences? I know you just went to one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I just attended the, uh, yeah, the inaugural World Occupational Science Conference that was held in Vancouver, British Columbia. Man, it was a time, y'all. Um, over 37 different nations represented. It was the first of its kind. It's been in the works for a long time. Um, it's organized by the International Society of Occupational Science. Um, in North America, there's also the Society for the Study of Occupation USA. Um, the website is sso-usa.net. And we have annual research conferences, um, very much open to students. In fact, this year we have a record number of students who have registered for our conference. Like 50% of our registrants are students. 
That has never happened in the history of the organization. I think it speaks to membership reach out for one um, and the sort of um, engagement that we've been doing to include students. Um, but I think it also demonstrates the students are hungry for this kind of stuff. Um, really interested in learning more about science, being engaged in science. Um, the society supports student work and student scholarship as well. We offer grants for student research projects and things. So um, definitely check out SSO. Um, I believe that is the only sort of like formal organization um, uh, where students or practitioners or just people who have an interest in occupational science can reach out. Um, there's textbooks that you can read about occupational science, but I'm not gonna recommend those. Not because they're not good, but talk to people <laughs> about it. Um, and yeah, you know, there's some occupational scientists are on social media, you know, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, I am talk about science, some but I talk about everything, but you know, some of these big names that you all know, Charles Christensen, Doris Pierce, Ruth Zimke, Virginia Dickey, um, John White, they, they're all in the social media space and are always um, excited to talk to people about the discipline. So just, you know, respectfully reach out and, and, and let them know that you're um, interested in chatting with them about it. And I'm sure they would be more than happy to. I think that's excellent. That's a that's a lot of resources, actually. I mean, that's a lot of, of different types of ways to kind of connect. Um, and I think I, I'm just still thinking about a kind of what I'm realizing about how much broader it is than I think what I was thinking, but just kind of that application in so many different spaces that you were talking about. Um, so yeah, I think that's excellent. Anything else, Kathy? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Do you have anything else that you'd want to share with, with anybody who might be interested in a career, maybe, uh, or anything at all that you think? Yeah, I, I think just to sort of re-emphasize a couple points um, is to reach out. You know, you don't know what you don't know, and no one is going to feel any kind of way about you reaching out to ask questions about careers in science. You know, I personally am excited when people ask about that because, we need PhDs. You know, there are other fields that you cannot hardly find a job. Um, it, like I think about psychology specifically, where I have friends who, you know, they submit 90 plus applications for jobs. I mean, in occupational science right now, the jobs are plentiful. Um, programs need PhD trained um, faculty and researchers. So reach out and let us know that you're interested. You know, PhDs are not scary. They, they aren't, I promise. Um, the, the other thing is to, you know, talk to the people that are already on your campus, you know, whether they're, they're, um, OTs or not about sort of pursuing a master's degree versus a PhD. Cause remember, you don't have to, um, have a master's degree. Now, if you, if you want to practice occupational therapy, then yeah, you know, get the master's degree. Uh, but if you are in one of these bachelor's of science of OT or OS programs, you know, sort of going ahead and doing your homework and reaching out and stuff about pursuing a PhD, join organizations, you know, to be able to have that sort of intimate connection to folks in the field 
um, and just just play around a little bit. You know, see if there are people who have internships um, or independent study opportunities or, or, you know, things like that that can help you get some some research experience or, or sort of practice, if you will, to say, like, do I really like this thing or not? Um <laughs> And, and and engage in it. You actually, in some some programs, will give you credit uh, towards the fulfillment of the degree when you do things like that. So, yeah, just pursue your passions and um, just know that the the science community is is ready for you and we need you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist. And more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu. Send us your ideas for future episodes at demystifyingresearch at wustl.edu.